you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and read along with me. 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 12. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hatzatzon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. May the Lord bless the reading of this word and those who hear. What are some things which can happen to us which we have little or no control over at all? I think of illness, bad weather, snowpocalypse, job losses, problems with kids or spouses, global pandemics, economic downturns, and the list goes on and on as we have recently in the last couple of years experienced here. I think of an episode in my own life when I felt the most powerless and some of you here today will recall this episode to my chagrin. Some years ago, I went on a fishing trip with a close friend who was a member at that time of this church to Laguna Madre. We went out early in the morning in a fishing boat this on a Saturday, fished until about 1 p.m. We could see thousands of fish all around us, not one single Bite. Everyone around us had like strings of fish hanging, you know, from hooks on their boats and uh, were singing and, and laughing and uh, we were not getting not even a nibble. We kept changing our location to fish to no avail. 
Finally, in a side channel of the arroyo, I said in frustration, maybe this is divine retribution because we're not planning to go to church tomorrow. My friend answered, looking up into the heavens, maybe we would go if he would send us some fish. I said, that's a dangerous thing to say. We gave up and we decided to head back to uh, the trailer that we were staying in for some lunch. Five minutes later, I am flying through the air, doing cartwheels like a cartoon. You know, you see the cartoon, I'm, I'm watching this thing happening, flying through the air and ended up upside down in a mesquite tree. I remember thinking as I was turning circles through the air, oh Lord, I'm about to die and I do not have any idea why. Apparently, while I was stowing fishing tackle in the tackle box in the front of the little uh, fishing barge that we were in, my friend had bent down to change the uh, change to an alternate uh, fuel thing so he could switch over to another tank. And while he did that, he did it with this hand and he bent down like that to switch and he wasn't aware that he was turning towards the bank at 35 miles an hour. He looked up just in time to see the bank of the arroyo about to hit us. I knew nothing of this until I landed in the only semi-soft, if you don't count the two-inch mesquite thorns, spot within 100 yards of the entire uh, bank. Well, we, got, we climbed out of the boat. Uh, the engine was still running, and there was several hundred pounds of clay in the front of the boat on the opposite end of the front from where I was standing, which was fortunate. So we dug several hundred pounds of clay out of the boat. We limped back to the car and went to the hospital. On the way, of course, the truck broke down. After being treated at the hospital, where I had to answer questions from the local police, no, we were not drinking several times. You were drinking, no, we were not drinking. My friend is an idiot. That's what happened. <laughs> We drove back towards the trailer, and he said, well, I'm glad that's all over. And I said, you know, these things usually happen in threes. And right at that time, we were driving into the trailer and uh, the carport, and we had forgotten and left all the fishing poles standing in the slots on the fishing boat, and they didn't clear the carport. I learned some lessons that day. The first and most practical is what the wives of the congregation already know. Be careful about what happens when the guys get together. A second lesson, I think, is don't ever plan to miss church on Sunday morning. You will end up flying through the air and landing in a mesquite tree. The most important for our purposes, I think, this morning is a lesson on powerlessness and how quickly, literally how quickly things can spin out of control.
Exhibit A is what's been happening around us the last two years, how quickly things can go south. It is important at these times to have stories and examples of faith to strengthen our resolve and steal our nerves when our lives or our church threaten to hit the bank at 35 miles an hour and when we are on our way to an uncertain fate. The story of Jehoshaphat and the battle with the Edomites and Ammonites and Moabites in 2 Chronicles 20 is one such story of faith in the face of overwhelming odds and powerlessness. Jehoshaphat was a very powerful king of Judah and characterized in Kings and Chronicles as a very faithful man. Kings says very little about him, but Chronicles tells us that he was faithful in ridding the kingdom of idols and he taught faithfulness to the Lord to the people. In spite of his faithfulness, chapter 18 of Chronicles tells us that he was seduced into an ill-conceived war against the Aramean peoples of Syria at Ramoth-Gilead. Micaiah the prophet came and told King Ahab of Israel and Jehoshaphat of Judah that if they went into battle, that Ahab would die. But he went anyway, and Jehoshaphat, his son-in-law, went along with him. The king's account details for us how Ahab died in battle, but only in Chronicles do we have the account of bad consequences for Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles 19, 1 through 3 mentions that the prophet Jehu met Jehoshaphat on his way back from the battle with Ahab, and he confronts him with these words. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherahs out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. We don't find out what the consequences were for Jehoshaphat until chapter 20 in the passage that I read for you. In this chapter, invaders from Aram, which is Syria, kind of odd, which are identified as Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites, which are eastern and southern uh, in the desert country, crossed the Red Sea, or the Dead Sea rather, from the east and landed at the town of Engedi with the object of doing battle against Jehoshaphat and invading Judah. These armies are called by the narrator a great multitude. But the interesting thing is the word for multitude here is not the standard word for multitude, large group of people, in the Hebrew language. It is a word which can also mean roar, tumult, or confusion. In other words, Jehoshaphat was told that a confusing, roaring mass of uncountable and violent enemies was suddenly and unaccountably not far south of Jerusalem coming to destroy him. 
And sometimes, isn't this how reversals or tragedies or disasters or downturns or losses affect us as well? Out of the clear blue. It's not the things you're expecting that knock you off your pins. The author uh, could have elected to use a different word here, such as army. Instead, a massive confusion and tumult was approaching him. When the disaster strikes, we may well feel that an overwhelming tumult has hit us, a mass of confusion and chaos. And I think it's important to compare Jehoshaphat's response with that of his father Asa. When Asa was confronted with a similar military conflict, this time against the king of Israel, Baasha, he had the option to trust in the Lord's help or to trust in his own politics and military strength. Instead of relying on the Lord in this incidence, however, Asa sent a bribe to the king of Damascus to help him in the conflict with King Baasha. Now Jehoshaphat is confronted with a similar situation. He also has to decide whether to trust in God in the face of overwhelming odds, the overwhelming chaos and confusion, or to rely on his own ingenuity, his own military might, and politics. But we're told by the prophet Jehu that Jehoshaphat had set his heart to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord in the book of Chronicles, I think, means at least two things. Number one, to put him in first place in life and also to have a worshipful and reverential stance and attitude. In our text for today, Jehoshaphat first set his heart, he determined, he made up his mind to seek God, his ways, his will, his presence. Not only does Jehoshaphat seek the Lord, verse 4 tells us that the people from all the cities of Judah also gathered to seek the Lord. And as the elders of Brentwood would, I think, tell us, it is easier to lead when people will follow. And there is great power when an entire community of faith resolves to seek the Lord with all of their heart. So Jehoshaphat and all the people sought the Lord in worship and in prayer. They entreated the Lord, one, on the basis of history. God had made a covenant with them. Two, on the basis of God's own character. He's the kind of God who answers when people cry out to him. In fact, that's the covenant commitment of God in everywhere in Scripture, possibly on every page of Scripture somehow. God hears and responds to all who cry out to him. And number three, on the basis of their trust and reliance upon God. 
I think in many ways, Jehoshaphat's story is our story. We live in a land and we live in a time of privilege, stability, relative stability, and prosperity, perhaps relative prosperity. As with Jehoshaphat, all of that can change in a heartbeat. As we've seen in this country over the past two years and more. Whether due to our own bad decisions, the sins of others, bad timing, meteorology, all of us at some time or other will face situations over which we have no control at all. A spouse will decide to leave us. A child becomes involved in immoral or illegal activity. Illness may strike out of the blue. Or worse, due to our own failures or weaknesses, we ourselves may become involved and embroiled in illegal or immoral activity. Then in a moment, we do our own version of flying through the air with no control and nowhere to land. At these times, we can make the same kind of decision that Jehoshaphat made. We're confronted with a choice. Do we work out of our own strength and ingenuity and power, fiscal strength, or other false props? Or do we recognize our powerlessness and rely on God rather than the idols of self-sufficiency, money, immorality, etc.? Remember that Jehoshaphat did not suddenly have to make a decision to trust where in the past he had not done so. Early in his reign, we're told, he had set his heart to seek the Lord. When the overwhelming scourge hit him, he already had a track record of faith. The discipline of seeking the will and presence of the Lord. So how do we seek the Lord? What's involved? As I've already said, it's a mindset but I think it's much more than this. Part of seeking the Lord was to seek him in the community of the faith. Elsewhere in Chronicles, when kings seek the Lord, it is always accompanied by fellowship and worship. We are seeking the Lord and his presence today as we meet here in this place. It's no different for us. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with a waitress at a restaurant who felt that Christian faith was a private affair and to be involved in a church was absolutely unnecessary. I explained to her my view that we're a body and that as members of the body cannot exist outside of the body, so we 
members of a spiritual body cannot exist outside of it. Though I I suppose her view of spirituality and faith is very common in our society today. Perhaps the clearest example of reliance on God in the face of great difficulty is verse 12, where Jehoshaphat ends his prayer. We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. One barrier, I think, to trusting in the Lord as we should is the feeling that the issue or disaster or problem is ours and that the battle belongs to us. We feel powerless and ineffectual if we aren't doing something. But as a friend of mine once said, it's time to stop doing and start trusting. And so the story of Jehoshaphat goes on after verse 12. After Jehoshaphat's and the people's prayer of trust in the Lord, the prophet Jehaziel came and said to them, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. And you remember the word there is confusion and chaos. For the battle is not yours but God's. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. The first thing the Judeans did was worship. Maybe that's the doing that is most needed in times of difficulty and crisis by people of faith. Then they went to battle and watched while the Ammonites, Edomites, and Moabites beat each other up. When life is spinning out of of control, our own version in our day and age of Edomites and Ammonites riding into the camp, whether it's at the workplace, in the family, in the church, or in society, we need to do, I think, what Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did. They prayed, they trusted, they went. The confusing, roaring tumult cannot reach us. For the one who brought order out of chaos and vanquished Pharaoh and Caesar and the gods of that age is still there to calm our stormy hearts and show us the salvation that comes from the Lord. If you're here and your life has chaotic and tumultuous elements in it and you don't know where the salvation and deliverance will come from, the Lord still holds out the invitation that we too in this day, today, can trust those that chaos and tumult to the Lord who has really big shoulders. 
can still bear our burdens, can still intervene and deliver. So if your life is characterized in that way, he calls you today to come to him and trust in him as we stand and as we sing.